0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, howdy church. It is great to be with you tonight. Um, My name is Carl and I serve in the Young Adults Ministry here at church. If you've got a Bible around you, why don't you grab it out? We're going to be in 1 John 5 tonight. Uh, If you've got a Pew Bible, you can just jump straight to page 1024. So we're going to be in 1 John 5 tonight, page 1024 of the Pew Bible. Um, So just this week, uh, I was reading that um, there's a bunch of people in Hong Kong that are pretending to be someone that they're not, right? And we know that in Hong Kong at the moment, there are these incredible protests going on. And we have a whole bunch of people that are pretending to be someone else, so much so that during these riots, that the Hong Kong police have banned people from wearing masks so that they can identify everyone. And so the protesters aren't allowed to wear masks anymore. But what's also happening is that the police are going in, and they're actually dressing as protesters so that they can infiltrate the group, and then they can just turn around and start arresting people. And so what we have is a whole group of people standing around asking the question, how do we know if everyone here that says that they're one of us is actually one of us, right? And about three weeks ago, a guy named Kanye West claimed to be one of us, right? He came out and claimed to be a born-again Christian. He came out on the show called Jimmy Kimmel, and um, he said to Jimmy Kimmel, and now that God has called me, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. And when Jimmy Kimmel asked him if he was um, born again and considered himself to be a Christian music artist now, Kanye West, with a big smile on his face, said, I'm just a Christian, everything now. Could this be the case? That Kanye West has legitimately become a Christian. This is the same guy that in 2005 posed for the cover of Rolling Stones magazine as Jesus Christ, with a thorny um, crown around his head, blood down his face, and referred to himself as Jesus, right? He took Kanye and the word Jesus and molded them together and called himself Jesus. The guy who did the article on Kanye wrote, it has become a cliche to call Kanye West arrogant. In 2012, he released a song called No Church in the Wild that seems to say that there is no place for the church out in the real world. And in 2014, he tweeted a pretty hilarious tweet. He wrote, Have you ever thought you were in love with someone, but then you realize you were just staring in a mirror for 20 minutes? That's what Kanye West wrote, right? A while ago, he wrote these things. What the Bible actually says is that when someone becomes a Christian, there is incredible rejoicing among the angels. When someone turns from sin and turns to christ see that the bad news for kanye is that his sins are really public right most of our sins are private most people don't know the sins that we get up to the bad news for him is that his sins his past sins are very um public but the good news for him is that when you become a christian and the good news for us is that when you become a christian the righteousness of christ becomes your righteousness So that you're no longer known by the sins of your past, the history of the past, the things that you've done, the things that you might not have done. You are now known as your position in the family of God as a child of God. It is the most incredible news if it is the news for you. So we have a whole bunch of people asking a very good question, and that is, is the... um, Faith of Kanye West legitimate? Is the salvation of Kanye West legitimate? And it's a good question because it leads to an even greater question, which is how can any of us know if our salvation is legitimate? How can any of us have that kind of assurance that we would know that we are indeed saved? It's such an important question because the Bible says that there is only one way to be saved and it is through Jesus. And through Jesus, you receive eternal life to be experienced right now, to experience the benefit of that right now. My wife and I, a few years ago, we were going to a movie and we went to uh, the Palace Nova Cinema, right? And if you know the Palace Nova Cinema, you'd know it's on Rundle Street and you can buy your tickets on one side of the street, but your movie might be on the other side of the street. Has anyone been to the Palace Nova, had that experience before? Right. So, you go, you buy a ticket. And so, we went and bought our ticket, got told where our movie was, and we never checked our ticket again. Right? Bad idea. And so, what happened is we got told where to go. We just walked in and we sat down in our cinema, and 15 minutes into it, we realized that we're in the wrong movie. It was a few years ago, so I was expecting this movie to be about the Hobbit, and, and all of a sudden I'm, we're in Bali, and we're at this resort, and I'm like, I don't remember Gandalf getting a deal on cheap Ray-Bans. I don't remember that. I didn't check. I didn't have assurance about where I was going. I never stopped to check that where I was going was where I wanted to go, and I had it a wasted evening. But what if we never stopped to check the greatest gift that we've ever been given? The gift of eternal life is actually something that we've received. It's not a wasted evening, it's a wasted eternity, right? Tonight, we close out our series on playlist propaganda and let's see if the claims of Kanye West, the claims of Kanye West that lead us to consider, how can I be saved? How can I be sure that my eternity... Is in the security of our Heavenly Father. How can I have an assurance of salvation so that when I lay my head down tonight, I lay my head down with peace rather than worry, peace rather than fear? Friends, the word of the Lord to you is that assurance is possible, and 1 John 5 helped us out a lot. Um, In our morning series, we've been uh, walking through the book of John, and the book of John uh, tells us that it was written so that we might believe. Well, one John is written so that we might know that we believe. It is a book written of assurance. Now, look down in your Bibles in 1 Job 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, I can tell you that as a young adult, in many different times in my life, I doubted my salvation. And it worried me. It stressed me. It consumed me. And it also embarrassed me. And so, what I did was that I retreated and I didn't speak 21 because I felt like my question for God was too big for Him to handle. What we find is that there is a whole book devoted to this question. So, rather than keeping our very deep and very important questions private, we should actually expose them because we find that the Word of God so often speaks into them. So, tonight is going to be special. If you are here tonight and you've ever doubted your salvation, then God's word to you is that you can have assurance. And if there's some of you here tonight that have that special privilege where you've never doubted your salvation, then you will know exactly the text to take to someone who does doubt. And friend, if you're here tonight and you do not call yourself a Christian, you will know exactly what it means to experience eternal life. And you would not worry about that gift, but you would receive it and you would rejoice We up for that? Amen. All right, let's do it. Tonight we're going to look at three tests so that we can receive an assurance of faith. Let's jump down to verse 18. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, does not keep on sinning. Here's test number one for the person questioning their salvation. Let's call test number one a matter of sin, a matter of sin. How are we to understand verse 18? Well, the last three verses of the book of 1 John actually read like a conclusion to an essay. What do you do with an essay? Well, an essay has an introduction where you lay out what you're going to do. Then you have a detailed body, and then you have a conclusion that very briefly summarizes quite a large argument. So you wouldn't understand the conclusion without going back to the body. So we're going to do something very difficult. We're going to turn a couple of pages. Can we do that? Let's turn a couple of pages back Back to chapter 1, or flicking your phone. Chapter 1, verse 6, the explanation of this verse. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the test. Here's the test. True believers walk in the light of God. A Christian is someone who walks not in darkness, but walks in the light of God. But what does it mean to walk in the light of God? Is that just more Christianese that we're not supposed to understand? No one's got a very real meaning. And really the verse that helps us out the most is Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. To walk by the light, to walk in the light, is that you are going through your life and you are using the word of God as your lamp to guide you. The image that we are receiving here is kind of like this. Um, when I was young, my parents uh, took me to a cave, right? I don't know if you've ever been into a really dark cave, but we went to this very fancy cave. I can't remember where. We went really, really deep. And um, the person who was taking us on this tour said that they, they wanted us to experience what true darkness was like, right? And so what she was going to do, she told everyone to stand still and she was going to turn her light off and we were going to experience real darkness. And so she turned her light off. And it was really strange to see darkness. It's really even strange to say that, to see darkness. It's not the same as closing your eyes. You know when you close your eyes, you, see, you kind of see light. You see the, the color of the sun or something that's moving on around you. But this was no light anywhere, absolute, complete darkness, and people freaked out of their minds, right? People had never experienced that before, so they started moving in a cave. That they'd never been in before. And so the instructor, the person taking us on this tour, turned the light on and said, What are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. You see, these people, they were moving. They even felt like they were getting somewhere. But the truth is, is, they were just walking into absolute destruction. And that's what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that unless you walk by the light, you are walking in darkness. If you've been born of God, then you're living in submission to the word of God, not living in submission to the darkness of the world. In the cave, the people were moving, but they were just getting closer and closer and closer to destruction. So what test does John give the believer to evaluate whether we've indeed been born of God? It's the test of whether we're walking in obedience to the word of God and not to the world. We cannot hold hands with Christ in deep intimacy, hold hands with the Word of God and with the world. It's a huge problem. James says it like this in James 4. He, he, he sees a people trying to do it and he says, you adulterous people. How confronting is that word? You adulterous people. It's this image of a person who has made a covenant with someone, promising for forever to be with that person, and then stretches out and tries to hold hands with another. And, and James goes on, and he says that if you do this, trying to be a friend of the world, you will make yourself an enemy of God. It's confronting, isn't it? But it's a question of allegiance. Is your allegiance to Christ and the Word, or is your allegiance to the world? Look back at... Um, 1 John 5.18, because it is a jarring verse. If you read this verse in isolation, you're going to run into a problem. And that is a lesson for us all in every situation. Many, many verses that you come to, if you read them in isolation, they will be a problem. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Man, has anyone in this room... Told a lie this week? Did anyone in this room gossip this week? Has anyone in this room failed to treat another person like we would want to be treated? I mean, this verse is incredibly confronting, and we wouldn't have any integrity if we went to say that we went the last week without sinning. Now, I was um, reading a contract for a job for a friend this week, and um, the contract said, it was for a Christian job, and the contract said that. Um, you would agree to resign from your position, whether uh, you would agree to resign from your position if your um, life spoiled the testimony of Christ. And I know what it was saying. It was saying that if you backslide, you walk away from the Lord. But I read that and I was like, "Man, I spoil the testimony of Christ every day. I mean God's standard is perfection, and every day I don't live in perfection. So what hope is there? But hope is there for all of us. That sin and live lives that fall short of perfection. Well, let's do that hard thing again, turning back to chapter 1. Let's look at the beautiful verses of verse 8 and 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, but it's incredible promise. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unbelievable. The Christian will sin. However, the Christian who is born of God will live a life marked by confession and by repentance. The Apostle Paul would say it like this. When you sin and you experience regret, what is your motivation for the regret? He says, he says it like this in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The picture Paul is giving us is of two people who sin, two people who sin, and both of them experience grief, but it's two very different kinds of grief. But what is What is worldly grief? Worldly grief is not concerned with the glory of God. Worldly grief is concerned with my reputation and my own comfort, right? It's easy to see it in little kids. You know, you ever remember being a little kid in the classroom, like really, really young, and maybe you were talking in class or you were cheating on a test or you were passing a note or whatever, and the teacher barked at you and you burst into tears? Anyone had that experience as well? No. Kevin Ollip helped me out by putting his hand up last time, and I appreciate that. He didn't have the experience, but he helped me out, and I appreciated that. You have that experience, though, where you get embarrassed, right? And you feel regret a over what you did. But the truth is, is that if you wouldn't get busted, you'd just keep on doing it. The only reason that you stop is because it was uncomfortable and your reputation got smeared. That's worldly grief. That's got nothing to do with the glory of God. The glory of God is very different. The glory of God recognises the incredible great love that God has for us and that when we sin, it is an inappropriate response to that great love. And as a result, it leads us to confession and a repentance, a 180 degree turning away from sinfulness. And the promise of 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins... He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us. He will hold our sins against us no more. Amen? He won't bring them back up later. You know when you have a fight with your partner because we're both sinful people, so we tend to do this. We remember that sin from 18 months ago on a Wednesday at 4.30 and we bring it back up to hold it against you. God doesn't do that doesn't hold on to your sin to bring it up against you, to embarrass you. He actually says that, he he says in Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he moves our transgressions from us. An incredible promise. The test, right? I don't know if you noticed that when the test came up, there was a little dot, dot, dot at the end. It was because it was an incomplete sentence. Here's the full sentence. The first evidence of true salvation, true believers walk in the light of God and their lives are marked by confession and repentance. And the gift of God is that he'll be faithful. The good news is that if you've never done this, if you've never confessed your sin, then tonight is your opportunity to lean on the faithfulness of God. The promise of God's faithfulness that comes to those who repent is a promise to the believer and to the unbeliever that if you are willing to recognize that Jesus is Lord and he is the only one that is able to deal forever with your sin, then he'll be faithful. An incredible promise. So that's test number one. Test number one, walking in the light of God and lives marked by confession and repentance. That leads us to test number two. Let's call test number two a matter of fruit. So let's be in chapter five. And look at verse 19. He says, We know that we are from God. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, what's the difference between this verse and the last verse? Well, the last verse was a general principle, and this verse is about evidence, right? The last verse doesn't demonstrate that John knows his audience. He just says, do not keep on sinning. The verse doesn't demonstrate that he's ever been with them, that he's ever shepherded them, where this verse does. This verse is an observed behavior that stands in contrast to the sinfulness of the world. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's seen a demonstration. The second evidence of true salvation is that true believers produce Christ-like fruit. True believers produce Christ-like fruit. Can the mature believer look into your life and see Christ in you flowing out of you? Or do they see that you've been lying in the power of the evil one? What does it mean to lie in the power of the evil one? Well, it means to experience intimacy with that person right um me and my friends booked a dinner a few months ago when when me and my friends get together we have to book a, a long way out since i've got kids life is very different my whole social life is 15 minutes of table tennis in the terrace straight after this service that's my whole social life and so we had to book this dinner in and so we booked it at this new restaurant we were super excited to get together But this um, restaurant had a new strategy for how they seat you on tables. I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant, but you might know it. Their strategy is that they want every single seat full before they'll open up a new table. So what they do is that even if you don't know other people, they put other people on your table. I don't know if you've had that experience before, right? So it's me and my friends trying to have a good time and then... A couple of people rock up that I swear it's an elderly couple on their anniversary dinner. And they're sitting right next to me. They're not having an intimate moment. I'm not having an intimate moment. It is a horrible experience. Dining in our culture is so much different from dining in the culture of the first century when the Bible was written. When you dined with another person, when you ate with another person, you reclined with that person, right? You went to their house and you didn't pop in, you didn't watch 20 minutes of a show before MasterChef came on. You reclined and you were vulnerable with that person. That person influenced you, you were influenced by them. That's the image that John gives us here, It's that our lives will be marked by who we lie down with whether we're experiencing intimacy with Christ, whether we're we're lying down, experiencing deep intimacy with Jesus, or we're experiencing deep intimacy with the evil one. And there will be fruit. Just depend what kind of fruit that is. When you lay down with Christ, your life will produce fruit, and we'll see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and Faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If you're lying down with the evil one, that's not what you'll see. You will see sexual immorality and jealousy and envy and gossip and drunkenness and things like these. So the second evidence of true salvation is whether your life is producing fruit that demonstrates Christ in you. But let me ask this question. What do you do if you look at your life and you don't see that much fruit? What do you do if you look at your life and the things that you do and you find it really hard to tell whether there's any fruit there at all? Well, I don't know if you've ever gone on one of those fad diets where it's all been, a, been about um, drinking different kinds of juice. Have you ever been on like a juice fad, fad diet, right? You know where you get like a whole bunch of juice and you... you I bought a juicer a long time ago and I was shocked at how many pieces of fruit that you actually need to make a drink of juice. Have you ever been shocked by that? You feel like you buy four kilos of orange juice and you get this little sip, right? I got all these oranges, I squeezed it fresh and I just looked at this half of a cup of orange juice and I was embarrassed. I went back to the oranges and I was like, something's wrong with these oranges. So I strangled these oranges to get as much orange juice out as I could. If you're a Christian and you don't see fruit in your life, don't strangle the fruit. Don't say, I need more peace in my life. I'm going to be peaceful today. Today I'm going to be peaceful. Today I'm going to have self-control. Today I'm going to have self-control. You know when you're like, you're trying to go on a diet and you're trying to resist food and you just keep saying, I need to resist, I need to resist. You don't resist. You fall straight into temptation. It is the hardest way to live the Christian life is to strangle the fruit. So what do you do instead? You return to the tree. You don't grip the fruit harder and harder. You return to the tree. What's the problem with strangling the fruit? Is that it's motivated by fear, isn't it? Worries about this day of judgment coming, whether it's when Christ returns or whether it be the end of my life, I could jump in my car and I could drive home and on the way home, my life will be over and so I have this great fear. This this could be the narrative. And so you want to build up all these good works so that on the day when Christ comes, you can say, God, look at all my works. Look at all the things I've done. That's the opposite of the gospel. It's not about the things that you do. It's that everything has been done in Jesus. All you need to do is to receive it. This is the way that jesus speaks he says i am the vine this is jesus speaking i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing this word abide is so crucial it means to remain in it's a reorientating yourself to Jesus Christ and the gospel we need to reorientate ourselves to abide in Christ every day year 12 before you check your ATAR open up that envelope however you receive it these days abide in Christ reorientate your heart back to the gospel you stop and you pray and you say God remind me that I don't get my identity from a number. I don't get my identity from my performance. I get my identity in my position as a child of God. So whatever I see on this piece of paper, please remind me that I am completely loved and fully accepted by you. You know, before you go into that, that pressure meeting, that meeting that you've been dreading for so long, you stop and you abide, You reorientate your heart, and you pray, and you stop, and you say, God, remind me that you're sovereign, that you are in control, that because of the gospel, the story has been written, and you win. You have not departed from me. You're worthy of praise, and so I do not worry. I trust in you. Abiding in Jesus is a gift to believers so that we Never fall into the trap of leaning upon our identity. So test number one is that true believers walk in the light and their lives are marked by confession and repentance. Test number two is that true believers demonstrate fruit over time. That Some of you may have a little bit of fruit. You only just got saved five minutes ago. Some of you have lived a long life. What do you do? You abide in Him. You reorientate your heart and fruit will come. And the final test, and I love that John finishes in this way because it is the most significant step in having assurance of faith. Look down at verse 20. It says, And we know, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. The third and final test is a matter of who you know. A matter of who you know. The third evidence of true salvation is that believers know Christ as Lord. Amen. True believers know Christ as Lord. John does something really interesting in the Greek here. He, um, the, the, in English, it comes across as... Uh, we know, we know, written twice, but in Greek it is two different words that both have this incredible meaning for us. Look down at um, verse 20 again. He says, and we know, but the Greek word there is oidomen, and we know oidomen, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Oidomen means a head knowledge, right? It's a head knowledge of the truth of the gospel, that assurance is first and foremost in the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. That's how you have assurance, is that you look upon Christ, you receive the truth of the gospel, and you say, Jesus Christ's work on the cross is enough for me. That Christ died in my place, paying the penalty that I should have paid, living the perfect life, he willingly went to the cross. And he died in my place. And then the Father raised him to life, demonstrating approval of Christ laying down his life so that we could experience life with him and forever. Assurance comes because Jesus Christ has done it. You don't add to it. You don't take things away. Jesus is more than a good motivator, right? I don't know if you remember WWJD bands back in the day. I don't know if everyone whereas people still wear them, ironically. What would Jesus do, right? You might say, what's wrong with like living your life by what would Jesus do? There's nothing wrong with what would Jesus do. Um, it would be great if more people could wear them. But it is true that modeling your life on the life of Jesus won't save you. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ saves you and receiving the truth of that gospel that you would put your hope and your faith in that Jesus' work is enough. Amen. It is the truth of the gospel claim. There is another Greek word that he uses here. He did say, and we know, oidomen, a head knowledge. Then he says, look down at the next verse, he says, so that we may know gnoskomen, gnoskomen, a different Greek word. Gnoskomen speaks of it, experiential knowledge. The third evidence of true salvation is that believers know Jesus Christ, that you've encountered Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ isn't a proposition. It's not a good idea. Jesus Christ is a person. You meet him. You can encounter the living God, not just signing up for a belief system, you're encountering the living God through the Spirit. This is called the internal witness of the Spirit. And when you become a Christian, it's not about signing on the line. John, 1 John 5.10 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, the Spirit of God inside you. Now, Romans 10.9 for me, when I was younger, I always, um, I always was quite confused about Romans 10.9. You know, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, then we'll be saved. I always kind of saw it as like, oh, if I say this code, then I get in. When I was very young, and it's, it's that picture of like, you know when you watch a movie and, um, and the, the couple of good guys need to get into that club and so they bang on a big steel door and this big dude on the other side slides, the visor open, and then you say the code word and then you get in. I used to think that code word was, um, Jesus Christ is Lord and then I'm in, Right? seems so disingenuine, doesn't it? That's because becoming a Christian is more than that. It's not just saying the right things. It's that people who have been born of God have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and through the Spirit, you've encountered Jesus. Not just a way of doing things, but you've encountered the person of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, how do I know if I've met him personally? How do I know if I've met Jesus Christ personally? Well, it is true that it is um, uh, by fruit. And it is true that um, your desires become Christ's desires. Christ's desires become your desires. People see Christ in you coming out of you. But I also do think that it's something more than that. And I um, I remember when I got uh, got saved, uh, uh, when I became born again as a Christian, I was 15 years old and my life was a mess, right? And um, when I was 15, my parents were in the middle of a separation. Now, I was soon to get divorced, but it wasn't at that point yet. It was just messy. And um, I was 15, and I got invited to go to a church. And um, I was that kid that, like, desperate for the center of attention. I was just a strange, strange, strange young man, right? And and I met Jesus. And um, you might say... Like, for the people that looked upon me, you would say, um, well, he looks exactly the same. But for me, when I was 15, I might have looked exactly the same, but when I looked out after meeting Jesus, everything looked different. That's the experience of coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Rather than everything being full of hopelessness, things were full of hope saw the world with a fresh lens. Instead of feeling small and insignificant, I felt small and very significant to God. I was now known by God, and I knew God. And every day of my life wasn't tied up in the narrative of what was happening around me, is that I knew I had an eternal destination and it changed everything about who I am. Meeting Jesus doesn't mean just getting things to believe. It means that you've met someone and he does change your world. You have the internal spirit, the Holy Spirit testifying inside of you. And that spirit does lead you. The spirit of God leads you to worship. The spirit of God does correct behavior. The spirit of God does keep you connected to the vine. Have you met Jesus? Meeting Jesus is actually the great invitation of the psalmist. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in him. It actually um, sounds a lot like what Kanye West writes in his latest song, God Is. He writes this. King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things he has in store, from the rich to the poor, all are welcome through the door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me. Now I'm sane. And I know, I know God is the force that picked me up. I know Christ is the fountain that filled my cup. I know God is alive. Is Kanye West a Christian or not? I don't know. Only God can judge his confession. And only his lifetime of fruit will demonstrate Christ in him. What I do know is that he's saying the right things. That Christ isn't a belief statement alone. It's actually encountering the person of Christ. Test number one is that true believers walk in the light of God and their lives are marked by confession and repentance. Test number two is that true believers produce Christ-like fruit over time and test number three is that true believers know Christ as Lord. I just want to invite the band to come back up on the stage. My wife, on three different occasions, um, she's taken my keys with her to work, right? So um, during the week, on a Wednesday and a Thursday, I leave 10 minutes after her, but I take the kids. And so um, on these three different occasions, I've like sorted the kids out, I put them in the car, they're ready to go and I go back inside and I can't find keys. It's not not finding your keys like the most frustrating thing. It's like keys then remote, right? It's a big deal when you can't find your I've got kids in the car screaming their head off, right? I've had to Uber it to work before and um, this one time, I can't find my keys and so I, I like calling back, she's not picking up and she eventually calls me and I'm irate and then she just describes to me Um, the place where my keys have been all along. It's like a new level of frustration. That I was so frustrated thinking that um, I didn't have something which I had all along. The great hope of God's word is that we can have assurance. If you're a Christian here tonight, you don't need to lay your head down tonight with worry and fear that you're not saved, you can turn to God's word, it can reveal to you that you're a child of God or you need to come to him in confession because there is a a greater worry. It's not about um, finding out that you have something that you had all along that you thought was missing, but there would be people here tonight that don't actually have this great gift of salvation at all. The Bible does say that there is a day coming where people will call upon the Lord, the Lord will return, and, he will say, and we will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I do not know you. You prophesied in my name, but I do not know you. We receive the word of God in this way so that we could test our own salvation and maybe we recognize that I don't confess my sin. I don't desire to repent. My grief is worldly. It's just about my reputation and my comfort. I think that if people looked at my life, they wouldn't see any fruit at all. And it's not because I've been a Christian for five minutes. It's because I'm not a Christian at all. There are two groups of people that I want to pray tonight for. Uh, People that came into this building worried about their salvation. And those people in here tonight that would not call themselves a Christian and want to receive this free gift of grace. Uh, The culture of our church is that we just invite people to bow their head and put up their hands Someone might pray for them. So would you do that just out of respect? We're just going to pray and just want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes just for the privacy of the people around you. Now, if you're in this space and you um, have wrestled with with whether you're saved or not and whether you are a child of God or not, and you would just love to be comforted by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would lead you to his word this week so that you can rest in assurance that you are a child of God. I would just love to pray for you. Would you just put your hand in the air just to indicate that's you so I might know to pray for you? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh God, I pray for um, the saints in this room who you've saved by your blood, paying that great sacrifice so that these men and women would be called children of the Father. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would assure them, would your spirit testify with their spirit that they are children of the Most High, that your great sacrifice was sufficient. I pray that this week you would be their great encouragement. I just want to pray for another group if tonight you recognize that you're actually not saved at all. You wouldn't describe, maybe you came to the room thinking that you're a child of God, but now you recognize that you're not. Or maybe you just straight up know you're not a child of God. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord, I would just love to pray for you. So if that's that's you, you recognize you're not a Christian, and you just love to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Would you just put up your hand so I might know to pray for you? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Angels are rejoicing, bro. God, I just want to thank you for the power of your spirit. so worthy of our worship Um, i just want to pray for my brother who's recognized his need of a savior and i just ask that your spirit would seal the gift of salvation so that satan would not pluck him away that he would live a life enjoying the gift of being a child walking in the benefits of being a child and that through his life many people would be saved God, we come to you because you are worthy of worship. We don't come to you demonstrating our works as if they somehow um, attracted your grace, but we know that your grace came to us because you are the God of grace.